like. Good evening, everybody. How's it going today? Good day today? Fantastic. Are you kidding me? I had a, I had a nap in the hammock today. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Don't you wish you had a hammock? <clears throat> Sorry, now you're covenanting. That's not what we're about here. So anyway, I'm glad you're here. Hey, we gotta, I want to let you know like a little commercial announcement before you look into God's word today. Uh, two weeks from now, on the weekend of November 16th and 17th, we're going to host Rachel Cruz here at Lakeside. Rachel is the daughter of Dave Ramsey, who is of Financial Peace University. A lot of you have been, found a lot of help through Financial Peace University. And we're, we're going to have his daughter. So I know it's not Dave, but it's his daughter. Actually, she's better and uh, better communicator. So, right, I'm telling you, so don't miss it. But I'm, I'm telling you that, so you might want to invite some friends. Sometimes you know, maybe your friends will say, oh, I don't really want to go to church. If you said, hey, they're going to talk about, uh, about finances in a way that will help you. And people are like, no, no, I don't come to church when they talk about money, which is all the time, they think. You know, it's like be persistent, invite them to come, and let's fill up, fill up the house for it because I think it's going to be really helpful, not just to us, but to our friends and neighbors as well. Good? All right, cool. Let's pray together, then we're going to talk about the Bible. God in heaven, thank you very much for who you are and what you're doing among us. I pray that you'll shape us and move us in the way you want us to go, and may we be the kind of people that you can work through. Lord, not just that you're shaping us, but you're blessing other people through us. I pray for that, and I pray that as we talk through your word tonight, that you would be honored among us, and uh, that you would use your word to make us the kind of people you want us to be. Lord, thanks for these things. We love you. Amen. All right. What do you want to do this week? Got any plans? Work. 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 Anybody? What do you want to do this week? Swim and play. Good. See, I want to change the world. Take about a week. Let's do it. Right? Isn't that what what Jesus left us here for? Right? Didn't he leave his people who were followers of Jesus? Didn't he leave us here to change the world? So what are you doing this week? Let's change the world. Right? There's a passage in the Bible, and we're not going to look at this one. This is, I just kinda, this is just some entry stuff. But in Acts chapter 17, there's a place where it's, it talks about the Christians, the followers of Jesus, and it says those people who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And the people that were saying that were all nervous because these Christians have been changing the world. And they said they turned the world upside down. Now, my perspective is the Christians came along, and they turned the world right side up. These people had a different perspective, right? I want to do that. So what's coming up this week? What if we plan and we just said, hey, during this week, we're going to do everything we can to change the world. And what if we made the same commitment the next week and the same commitment the next week? See, I, I just believe that God has us here for that reason. He wants us to do some things that would change this world. And I want to see the grace, of, grace and truth of Jesus change people. I want to see the transformational power of Jesus change people. I want it for us and I want it for others around us. Don't you want that? I mean, you're not, you're, not just, you're not just content to play out the string of your life, are you? Would that be horrible? Would that be horrible if we just all got together and we said, you know what? We're all good. We're all comfortable. Let's just play out the string. I'm like, I, I just don't think that's acceptable. And I, it's, it's just not engaging. It's not what Jesus called us to do or be about. So let's change the world. Let's turn it, up, let's turn it right side up. And see what God would do through us. That's what I want to do this week. I want you to think about some things that, as you come to Scripture. I want you to think about some thoughts that, I, that I've been thinking about and walking through from the Scripture. I believe God wants his followers, the followers of Christ, to change the world. 
That's what I think it's about. I think that's why he left us here. And sometimes you go, no, 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 that's, that's too big a job. How many people live in the world today? Over 7 billion. 7 billion people. How many people can you influence in one week? Well, probably something just less than 7 billion. So you can probably influence, you can probably influence between like 1 and 7 billion, somewhere in between there. You know, right? So there's 7 billion people in the world, and sometimes we look at that and we go, oh, man, that's way too big to influence everybody. I mean, I'm not going to Africa this week. How am I possibly going to influence the billion people that live in Africa? I'm not going to India this week. How could I possibly influence the people that live in India this week? I, I cannot do that. It's way too big. And so just looking at the size of the challenge, like, there's no way we're going to change the world this week. Sometimes we look at it not just in the numbers of people. Sometimes we look at it in terms of the, the size of the problems that are out there. Are there any problems in the world? Are they big or little problems? Yeah, there's little ones and there's big ones, right? And one of the problems in this world, and, the, and they won't talk about this on CNN or on Fox or anything. They won't use the word, but one of the problems in the world is evil. There is evil in the world. And whether people want to admit it or acknowledge it or whatever, there's evil in the world. And when there is evil in the world, it messes up everything. Here's a bigger challenge. There's evil in my heart. And I don't want to really get, you know, too much into your business, but there's evil in your heart too. I mean, how far do you have to look to find it? And the problem is not just that there's evil in the world out there on a big scale. The problem is there's a lot of evil in those 7 billion people that live in the world. Each one of us carries a bunch of it around with us. And every time evil comes in the world, it destroys the things it touches. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Another way of saying that is sin kills everything it touches. And the problem is it touches me. And through me, it touches you. And through you, it touches others. And it messes everything up. And so sometimes we'll say, well, okay, Brad, it's all nice to talk about the world and all that stuff. That's all really inspiring and, you know, cool. But I'm over 50. I could never do it. You know, changing the world is a young man's game. Young person's game. Right? Or you go, well, I don't really have a lot of influence. I'm just a mom. The only influence I have is in my children's play group. And I go, ding, ding, ding. Right. That's enough. You go, I can't really change the world. I'm just an engineer. I design software. I don't have much influence. Oh, really? You have all kinds of influence with the people right around you. All kinds of influence. Powerful influence. You have it. If you would choose to use it. I want to choose to use it. In my life, I want to choose to use it. In your life, I want you to choose to use it. I believe this. Jesus has empowered you to change the world. Whoever you are, wherever whatever your background is, whatever's going on for you, Jesus has empowered you to change the world. And sometimes we just go, no, no, I, I, I just can't do it. I just don't have it in me. I'm not capable. And if that's where you are, and if there's very many of us like that in the room, in this church, then our mission is sunk. Right? What's our mission from the playbook? Yeah, you guys don't do that very well. But, you know, I heard it. I heard, it's like, I heard a lot of that. It's like, it starts with transformation. What is that? That's another fancy word for change. That's just what we're talking about, changing the world. And if we end up saying, I can't do it, then our mission is ridiculous. 
our mission is unattainable. And if our mission as a church is unattainable, then it's untenable. It can't be managed. It can't be held onto. And we might as well abandon it. If I can't do it and if you can't do it, we ought to get out of the mission business. But I believe that Jesus has empowered you to change the world. Or I might say it a little bit differently. I believe God wants to change the world by changing your world. I think God wants to change the world by changing your world. You can't reach 7 billion people, especially not this week. Not even in a lifetime could you change or touch, even just touch, 7 billion people. But God doesn't want you to necessarily. God wants to change the world by changing your world. He wants to change the world by changing my world. And he wants to enlist us to make that happen. I want to show you a a story in Scripture that describes this. There are several stories in Scripture. I'll I'll list some a little bit later for you because I can't walk through all of them in one shot. But let me just, um, let me read one passage of Scripture. It's found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. So if you have your Bible and you want to pull it out and follow along with this, Mark, chapter 5, tells a really interesting story. I'm not going to take a lot of time to walk you through and tell you the whole story or expand on it, but let me read it for you, and then we'll highlight a couple things that he talks about. Matthew, or Mark, chapter 5, starting at verse 1, story of Jesus and his disciples. Mark writes... They went across the lake, that's the Sea of Galilee, to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. So this is like a Halloween story, okay? There's tombs and chains and stuff, so you've seen it all this week. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, which is an interesting order of how this works out. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into the pigs. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. That's not even the end of the story yet. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. In other words, he'd been transformed. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. 
but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. This guy gets out of the boat. Jesus comes up, meets him. The man's been demonized. Literally, when we call it demon possession, I don't know what possession is, but literally the word is he was demonized. He was tortured by demons. And in this case, Jesus said, what's your name? He said, my name is Legion, because there's lots of us. A Roman legion was anywhere from 1,000 to 6,000 soldiers. Comes to this man, and he's demonizing he's an outcast from his culture and jesus stepped off the boat and changed this man's life the demons begged him they said no no don't don't send us into the abyss don't you know don't send us away let's let us go into the pigs which was a jewish form of poetic justice i guess you know the whole pig thing so go into the pigs that let us go in the pigs and jesus says okay go and these lead this legion of demons and i don't even know how you feel about demons if you think that's real but listen to this if if you believe in jesus jesus believed in demons so that's good for me. So, these, so maybe 2,000 demons are in this because there's, there's 2,000 pigs on the hillside. The demons come out of the man. They go into the pigs. Boom, 2,000 pigs drown themselves by running off a cliff and landing in the lake. Okay, something, that's a good story, right? Something's going on there in that story. Now, the next thing that happens is the man who had been demon-possessed, people would have described him as crazy, People would have described him as insane. And now the crazy man is sane. He says he's dressed and sitting uh, in in his right mind. The crazy man is sane. But the crowd went crazy. The people who live there went crazy. They're They're like, this is really frightening. This is really freaky. We don't want to have any of this. And so the crowd said to Jesus, go away. That's like the... That's like the... Biggest non sequitur in the history of language. They saw what Jesus had done. They saw that he, re- he had released this man, set him free, showed him amazing mercy. And then they said, go away. That didn't make any sense at all. They went crazy. And sometimes when Christ followers seek to change the world, some people go crazy. And some people don't like it. And some people want to send Christ and those who follow him away. That happens. And some of you will say, oh, I don't want to change the world this week then. Well, watch what else Jesus does. He goes to the man who is now sane and in his right mind and fully clothed. And, and the crowd is saying to Jesus, go away, go away, go away. And so Jesus accommodates them and he goes back to the boat. He climbs into the boat. As he's climbing into the boat, this man who was formerly demon, demonized, demon-possessed, the man comes to Jesus and he goes, can I go with you? These people are crazy. And you're all thinking, I'm thinking when I'm reading, I'm like, oh, of course Jesus is going to say, you know, come on. Because what does Jesus say all the time? Come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. All the time he's saying that. And so the guy goes, can I come follow you? And Jesus goes, no, go home. That's the second biggest non sequitur in the history of land. What? Here's a guy that wants to follow you, Jesus, and you say, go home. And here's where he gives him the mission. He says, go home to your own people and tell them the amazing things that God has done for you. And describe the mercy that God has shown on you. Go home. 
And in that story of the man who had been demonized for all that time and who had been set free by Jesus, in that story is the story of the mission that God wants to send us on. See, he didn't send the man back empty-handed. He sent him back to his people with a story to tell. God has not sent you out into this world empty-handed. He has given you a story to tell. And every one of you who's a follower of Jesus, every one of you who have said, uh, Jesus, I need a Savior. I believe it's you. I trust you. I choose you. Every one of us who's walked down that path has a story to tell of life change. And maybe it's dramatic. Maybe it's just, you know, I was demonized by 2,000 demons and God set me free. That'd be a great one, you know. Or maybe your story's like, like, you know, some people like my story. They're like, wow, that's a boring story, you know. I put my faith in Jesus when I was like eight years old. He saved me from being an axe murderer when I was eight years old. Well, maybe, maybe, because maybe he saved me from that stuff before it ever, ever happened, right? I think that's a miraculous story just in itself. Everybody who's a follower of Christ has a story. Jesus says to every one of us, go home to your people and tell them the great things God has done for you. That's the mission. And when followers of Christ begin to do that, we begin to change the world. It's not very far-fetched because God doesn't want you to change the whole world. God wants to change the whole world by changing your world. Listen to what Jesus says to this, this man. He says, go home to your people. Some of you were with us uh, back in August when we had those vision nights. We hosted a couple of vision nights here in the auditorium. We said, this is where we're going. And ever since then, we've been talking every now and then about this thing called oikos. We said, everyone's got an oikos. It's the Greek word for house or household or extended family or neighborhood. It's the people that God has sovereignly and strategically placed in your life in your world, so that you would shape their world. And I believe God has placed every one of us in a community of 8 to, eight to 15 people that he has sovereignly and strategically picked out for us so that we could be world changers in that world. I believe it's true of me, and I believe it's true of you. It's true of this man in this story in Mark chapter 5. Jesus said, go home. That word home is the Greek word oikos. He said, go back to your own house, your own household, your own neighborhood. Go back to your place, right? That's the, that's the word, go home, oikos. And then he adds to it just to get a little bit more flavor in the story. He says, go back to your house, to your own peeps. <laughs> that's what he said, right? Go, go, go home to your own people. You guys have people, right? You have peeps. You do, right? Everybody, everybody does. Why? Because God sovereignly and strategically made it that way. He puts you in a community of people. And generally, we, have, we are surrounded by maybe a community of 8 to 15 people. Jesus was surrounded by 12, right in the middle of that. And maybe if you're really introverted, maybe you've only got six people that are you know, kind of in your community. Your oikos, your, your household. Maybe, you've got, maybe you're like really extrovert and you've got 20, 22, I don't know, whatever. But you are surrounded by people that God wants to use, he wants to use you to influence those people for his sake. He wants you to tell your people of the great mercy that God has had in your life. And the great things that God has done in your life. Same thing that he told this man who had been demonized. Go home to your people. 
he says that to us. Now, you can go all the way through the New Testament, and you can find those kind of stories. I'll show you a list. Let me just put a list of scripture up. I'm not going to tell you all these stories, but I listed, I got a list of names here and some scripture passages that would just describe you. Every one of these stories that you're going to see up here, and you can, you can take a picture of this with your phone or something so you don't have to write them all down, but you can, every one of those stories is a story of some place where Jesus either said, go home and tell them, or they already had their neighborhood or their oikos around them when they were hearing from Jesus, and Jesus changed their whole household all at the same time. Amazing stories of God working in their world. Not the whole world, just their world. What would happen if God just decided, and we decided to partner with him, if God decided to change our little world? Your little neighborhood, your little oikos, or mine. What would happen? If Christ followers all over the world were ready to do that, maybe God would actually change the world through us. Maybe some of those little problems that we have in the world would go away. Maybe some of those big problems in the world would get smaller. Maybe life change would happen to people in this world if God was able to work through us, if he was given freedom to work through us. Go home to your people and tell them the great things God has done for you. We talk about our mission to change the world when we say we want to transform as many people as possible into passionate and productive followers of Jesus. We're proclaiming a mission that is doable. But it will take us to be on board to do it. Now what I want to do for the next couple of minutes is give you a guide of how to do this. I want to give you six really practical steps of how to do this. When you came in, did you get one of the, did you get a Lakeside Life brochure, little program? Did you get that? Inside that, I think there's a little card that says my neighborhood. Looks something like this. Did you find that in there? Yes? Good. Pull that out. Good. Pull it out. Put it in your lap. Get a pen out. I want to walk you through this card. It's really a mission card. Let me show you how it works. There's six things I want you to do with this. Now, you can decide not to. No pressure. But I want to persuade you and invite you to participate in this and see what God does through us. All right? Step number one, make a list. Some of you aren't list makers. That's all right. Make a list. All right? Make a list of the people that, God, that you believe God has sovereignly placed around you, who he has strategically placed around you, that you might be able to influence for Christ's sake. Now, if you go, oh, my whole list is filled up with Christians. Then I want you to change your life. I want you to change your circle a bit. I understand what it's like to be surrounded by Christians, you know, but God doesn't want us just to be in our own little bubble. It's hard as a pastor to get out of the bubble. It's hard to get out into the world and be with other people that Jesus wants me to influence and be friends with and be with. And so if you look at your whole list of 8 to 15 people and you go, wow, everyone on there is a Christian already. They're all Christ followers. Woohoo! Like, then I'd start asking God, who else do you want to bring into my life? Who have you brought into my life that I have ignored? Who have you brought into my life that I've bypassed? Because I think there's been some people like that. So make a list of the 8 to 15 people that God has sovereignly put into your life that you believe he wants you to reach out to and he wants you to touch them. He wants you to be able at some point to be able to say, this is, this is part of the great things God has done for me. Who would these people be? Well, they might be your family members. They might be your neighbors, like your real neighbors, like the, like the guy next door or the other guy next door. You know, Might be the people that work with you in the cubicle down the row. Might be your classmates. Might be your teammates. 
Who are the people that God has sovereignly and strategically placed in your life that he wants you to care for and love and be a blessing to? So if you're a, if you're a senior and you're like retired and you, and you belong to a golf, you know, a golf group, a golf club, maybe that's the people that God has sovereignly put around you. If you're a mom and you've got, you know, your child in a play group, maybe that's the group that God has sovereignly placed in your life. You work at Intel, you are surrounded by five or 6,000 people. God has put some of those into your life on purpose so that you would care for them and love them and be able to tell them the great things God has done for you. Number one, make a list. Number two, step number two, keep it current. It's interesting, sometimes people come and go in our lives, and sometimes that's God moving people around. And sometimes we just look at them and go, well, there's just stuff happening, and people move, and they come, and they go, and whatever. Yeah, but sometimes that's God sovereignty, sovereignly working in your life by his grace and his wisdom and his power, moving people into your world. So keep that list. I want you to put that on your dashboard or on your mirror or on your refrigerator or someplace where you're going to see it on a regular basis, which is going to lead to step three. I want you to pray for the people on that list every single day. Do you pray every day? Three of you? Right, okay, so I I know you didn't really, you know, grab your chin and push it up and down, but we do, right? We pray every day. I want you to pray for this list of people in addition to whatever else you pray for. It's fascinating. When a traveling evangelist comes into town like Billy Graham, Billy Graham came to Sacramento 19 years ago, had a big deal out at Arco Arena. They call it like an evangelistic crusade. And Billy Graham and his team, they came in, they said to all of us who were following Jesus and, and involved in the process, they said, let's do Operation Andrew. They gave us a list. They said, write down all the people that you'd like to bring to the crusade. So we all prayed for them. And as soon as Billy Graham left, everybody stopped praying for them. That's weird. Then Luis Palau came last summer, and they said, let's do the same thing. Let's get everyone to, you know, make a list, and let's pray for them. As soon as Luis Palau left, then we all stopped praying for them. That's just weird. It's like, why don't we live like that all the time? I want you to pray for that list of people every single day. Maybe God will do something through that. Only because you're praying for them. Simply because you're praying for them. I started this process back in September, right after we had our vision nights, and I said, here's what we're going to do, here's how it's going. I started praying for my Oikos list, my neighborhood list. And about a month after that, about a month ago now, my next door neighbor came to me and he made, a, he made a little proposal. He said, hey Brad, I would like to pay for a month's worth of lawn service for you. I know, it's cool. Now, you can, there's a couple reasons he might have said that. first reason is the obvious, which is also true. My lawn doesn't look that good right now, so maybe he got tired of it. I don't know. But I'm out there. I'm kind of raking my lawn or mowing or doing something. He goes, I'd like to pay for lawn care for you. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to bless you. It's not you blessing me. And I'm, for the last month, I've been scratching my head like, why is that? Why did that guy come to me? Why did he come to me? And I was talking to Josh a while, this last week, and I was telling him the story. He goes, maybe it's because you prayed for him. Hadn't, hadn't thought about that. I know, I know, but I hadn't thought about that. See, we some, we're, sometimes we get so worried, it's like, I don't know how I'm going to change the world. I don't know what I'm going to do to reach the world. And sometimes if we would just ask God to bless those people through us, maybe God will bring them to us. I want you to pray for this list of people every single day. And when the list changes, change the way you pray. And when the list changes again, change the way you pray. Step four. Invite those people on your list, invite them to church regularly. 
we're interesting people because sometimes we've got a friend or whatever when we go, well, I don't want to be offensive or anything. I'll invite him to church once. If he doesn't come to church on the first try, I'm not, I'm not trying again. How many of you came to Jesus the very first time you heard about him? It's not how we make decisions. If you want to have your friends in your neighborhood, in your oikos, hearing about Christ, you're going to have to ask them more than once. Salespeople t- say it takes seven touches to bring someone to a place where they said they'll buy your product. We're not salesmen. But it's going to take some touches and some invitations. And you'll say, yeah, but I'll just offend them. Well, ask nicely. I mean, just, just invite them nicely. It's like, hey, you know, we got this thing going on at church this week. We're going to have this, this lady who talks about financial peace. And I don't know if you guys have financial peace or not, but would you like to come? No, I hate that. Okay, never mind. Christmas is coming. You know, hey, we got this Christmas thing coming. Would you like to come? No, I don't want to come. And you ask them, you know, over a period of time, someplace God's going to cross their path with something that happened. And your invitation is going to come at just the right time. And maybe they'll say yes. And if they say yes to church, maybe at some point they're going to say yes to Jesus. Isn't that what you want for your neighbor? Your oikos, your your household? Invite them to church regularly. Number five, step number five. Prepare to display God's character and to explain your faith. Prepare to explain God's character, to display God's character and explain your faith. This is what the Bible calls discipleship. It's preparing to live the gospel and explain the gospel. It's called discipleship. The reason we are designed to, as a church to build up those who are followers of Christ is for the purpose of being able to be ready to talk about Jesus when we're out there in the world. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Always being ready to give an answer for, every, for, the, for the hope that lies within you. And always do that with gentleness and reverence, respect. That's just the process of being a disciple of Jesus. Step number six, encourage other Christ followers in steps one through five. Why don't you build this into your small group? Just in your small group every week, hey, hey how's your oikos? What? Oh, you missed that Sunday that Saturday. How's your neighborhood? How's your neighborhood card? How's your list? How are you praying for them? Are you seeing God do anything in them yet? You might be like Josh was to me. You might open their eyes and say, oh, God's already doing something in them, and you didn't even notice. And then tell your small group, tell your Christian friends, whatever. Tell them, I'm praying for you in the midst of this. Encourage them to live out these steps as well, and let's see what God does, all right? That's what I'm praying for for us. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us like you do. You are good and amazing and great, and so we love you. You gave us your son, Jesus, which is amazing, and so thank you for him. Would you lead us in your path? Would you change our world through us? Change us and then change our world through us, Lord. That's our desire. Thank you. Lord, we love you. Amen.